Hi, everyone. Thank you for welcoming us into your homes. We are continuing on in our series that we've entitled Change Before You Have To. It's really about the story of Elisha, the prophet of God. When you think about it, First and Second Kings are written to the children of Israel while they're in exile, while they have been separated from the promised land, they're living in Babylon, they're, they're trying to uh, learn what it means to be the people of God in the midst of a foreign country, in the midst of uh, a, a group of people that had enslaved them, that were using them as their servants. Really, uh, the children of Israel could be the poster children for uh, not learning to change before they had to, because the whole reason that they were in captivity was because they had failed to change. They had failed to learn the lesson that they were to serve God and to serve him only. And so here we have the children of, of God living in a foreign land uh, underneath uh, the uh, power and the authority of a foreign government, endeavoring to learn again what it really meant to be the people of God. And so we have these lessons that come out of the story of Elisha that help us to understand uh, how we need to live in order to change, in order to be the people of God. So today I want to talk about humility, and uh, humility really helps. Now, I, I think there are two ways to arrive at humil humility. I, I think this, this is something that God will produce in our lives, so one of two ways. We, we can be humble, or we can be humbled. And it's much preferable to, uh, to develop that character in ourselves of humility rather than to be humbled, because to be humble is never a pleasant experience. Of course, Jesus is our example of humility. Uh, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross from Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. So we know then that Jesus becomes our role model or our example of what it means to be humble. Now, Jesus modeled humility for us, particularly as he rode into Jerusalem on uh, what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. You know the story. Uh, he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and uh, although he could have come as a conquering king, he came as his humble servant and uh, uh, put aside his authority and his power and his military might. And uh, John chapter 12, verse 14 to 15 says that Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And so we remember the humility of Jesus on Palm Sunday. And, and we see this lesson uh, for the exiles found in 2 second, in, in King chapter 5. And it really is reflecting that uh, principle in the New Testament from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So I want to talk about the story of Naaman from 2 Kings chapter 5. Here's how the story goes. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Well, let's pray. So Father, thank you again for this wonderful story from the Old Testament scriptures. Help us to understand uh, something about humility, perhaps that we didn't before. Help us to understand the importance of humility and, and help us, Lord, to practice humility in our everyday lives. Lord, we know that you're pleased by this. We know that this is a primary characteristic, a fruit of the Spirit that you want to develop in us. So, Lord, we pray that we would learn to be humble servants as Jesus was and as Jesus demonstrated for us. In your name we pray. Amen.
So right away in our text, we have some surprising information. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but, but what's surprising in this text is that the Lord has helped a foreign army humble Israel. He was a commander in the army of Aram. This, this was an army that was attacking Israel. This was an army that were traditionally uh, enemies of Israel. He was fighting Israel, and yet the Lord helped him. So the Lord can use all kinds of means in order to humble his children, in order to humble folks. And uh, it says that he's a valiant soldier, but then at the end of the text it says, but he had leprosy. So in spite of his might, in spite of his valor, in spite of uh, the importance of his position, he had a problem. He had a problem. He had a skin disease called leprosy. Now, leprosy, the word for leprosy that's used here could be any skin disease. It could be psoriasis, it could be eczema, or it could be, in fact, leprosy, which is a a deadly disease and and a horrible disease. But whatever it was, it was probably hidden from view, as as most of us who who would struggle with a skin disease, we need to want people to see that, a rash or anything, so it tends to be covered. And uh, this man, in spite of his power and his might, he was struggling with with this disease. Well, uh, a young servant girl from Israel uh, who was captured in a border war. So she she wasn't uh, voluntarily serving uh, him or his his mistress. Uh, She was captured. She was a slave, so to speak, from from a military victory. And and she humbly, notice that, humbly, showing no resentment, says something to Naaman. Uh, Let's read the text. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. That's surprising as well that this, this uh, young girl, a slave, who could have been full of resentment, could have uh, uh, not cared one iota about Naaman, has this suggestion, hey, go see the prophet of Israel. Uh, he can probably cure you of this problem. So Naaman then goes to his king and asks for a letter of introduction to the king of Israel, thinking the king might have the power to heal him. And so instead of going directly to the prophet, he does the politically correct thing. After all, there was tension between uh, the king of Israel and the king of Aram. And he says to the king, write a letter to the king. Give me an introduction. Uh, I'll go there and, and see what happens. That's in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 7. Now, as soon as the king of Israel reads the letter, he tears his robes and he says, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. Well, oops, we say, something's going on here. The captive servant girl is more aware of the prophet of God than the king. She shows humility in suggesting the man, Naaman, goes to the prophet. The king shows arrogance. And so here we have someone who's supposed to be humble, the king of Israel, the one who is supposed to be given authority to to rule the people of God. And we have the servant girl demonstrating what the king does not demonstrate. And so uh, the story unfolds. Elisha hears of the king's response. The king's mad. He doesn't know what's going on. He's he's arrogant. He, He thinks that the king's trying to pick 
pick a fight with him. And uh, uh, Elisha hears response and says, well, send Naaman to me. Again, a demonstration of humility. Send him to me. See what we can do. This is in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 8. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. This is in verses 9 to 10. And so Elisha is confronted by Naaman, the commander of armed forces with horses and chariots and a big display of power. And he doesn't even go out to meet him personally. He just sends his servant out and says, go wash in the Jordan seven times and you will be You will be cleansed. So now Naaman is offended. <laughs> he's offended and he's angry and he's kind of spouts off and he says, ah, we've got better rivers at home. Why would I go to the Jordan river, the muddy old Jordan river and wash? I could go back home to Damascus. There's wonderful rivers there. You know, what is this? You see, I think Naaman was expecting some abracadabra. You know, he's expecting some magic. He's expecting a David Copperfield moment. He's expecting uh, smoke, uh, maybe a light show, maybe, uh, uh, you know, uh, here, presto, here it goes. You know, he's expecting something supernatural, something phenomenal. And just go and bathe in, in a river. Well, what will that do? He's had many baths over his lifetime and it hadn't helped at all. And then again, another servant calms him and says, if if you'd asked something heroic, you would have done it. If you'd have asked to do something spectacular, it would have been no problem. Then why not do this? Again, you see this humility being demonstrated by the servant. And so Naaman says, well, I guess I can do it. And so he goes and he humbles himself and he dips seven times in the Jordan River. And instantly he's, he's healed and his, his skin is like a child's skin. And then he goes back to Elisha. And offers a substantial gift to him, right? Wow, amazing. Yahweh, the God of Israel, is truly the, the one true God who can do anything. But Elisha, showing humility, refuses the gift. He doesn't want anybody to think that it's been his power that's caused this miracle. And he says, no, no, you can't give me anything. I, I won't accept any gift. I, I don't want anybody to think that uh, it was me that caused this miracle, but rather this has been done so that people will know that there is a God in Israel and that I am the prophet of God. I'm the servant of God in, in Israel. Now, then Naaman, strangely, in our eyes anyway, and, and asked for enough dirt for two mules to carry back to his homeland. And he promises to only worship the God of Israel. The reason he wants the two mules full of loaded with dirt, is that he would use that dirt to build an altar to worship Yahweh in his home country. It was back then it was thought that, uh, that perhaps a little dirt from the homeland would, would reflect uh, honor and worship of, of the God of Israel. So he takes dirt with him, he takes it back to his homeland, and he's going to worship Yahweh forever, and Yahweh only forever, by kneeling in the dirt. So what we perhaps don't notice, particularly in our NRV, NIV version, is that the narrator here is using a play on words in verses 15 and 16. It says that Naaman stands before Elisha, and then it goes on to say that Elisha says that he stands before Yahweh. Now this comes across in our NIV when Elisha says, I stand before God whom I serve. And the other translations, like the King James translation, uh, have translated that before whom I stand, because 
Standing before someone is an indication of your service to them. It's standing before them in humble obedience, waiting for their instructions. And so Naaman stands humbly before Elisha, and Elisha stands humbly before God. And, and that's the point. The point is, uh, we need to change before we have to. We need to demonstrate humility. Humility really helps in understanding how we need to change. God uses humble servants. And this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is something the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us. We all stand before the Lord. We all stand before Him as His servants. Even though we may have people standing before us in order to serve us because we might be leaders in one capacity or another, we stand before the Lord. And humility is putting others first. I like the way C.S. Lewis put it. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. True humility is considering the needs of others, considering how you might serve others and help others. God uses whomever he wants to accomplish his purposes. It's our privilege to be used by God as his servants. You see, if the covenant people will not obey, God will raise up people outside the people of God to accomplish his purposes. Humble obedience always advances the kingdom of God. Notice as well in our text that horses and chariots cannot save. No matter how much power Naaman had, no matter how much authority he had over, well, swords and horses and chariots and shields and and spears and all the rest, he could not cure himself. But the God of Israel, he does save. And this is a common Old Testament theme, isn't it? Where the horses and chariots and the might of the armies is, is, uh, is, comes up against the power of God. And, and when that happens, military might versus the power of God, God always wins. Trustful obedience wins every time. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for your word to us today. We pray that we would be reminded to serve you in humble obedience, as Jesus did, as Jesus demonstrated for us by coming and dying on a cross and, and, and all that he did. And we think of this on Palm Sunday, him riding humbly into Jerusalem and um, on, a, on the back of a, of a donkey. And, and Lord, we thank you that you've modeled that for us. Help us to keep this in mind. Help us to remember that we always stand before you, that we must respond to you in trustful obedience, that it's not about might, it's not about power, it's about humble service. That's what advances the kingdom of God. That's what pleases you. And you always use humble servants. So Lord, we pray that we would keep this in mind and learn to practice that in our everyday lives. Help us, Lord, in our, in our workplaces. Uh, uh, for those of us who are employers and Help us to remember that. Help us to remember that for those of us who are employees. Help us to remember that in school for those of us who are teachers and for those of us who are students. Help us to remember that, Lord, in, in our family life and our home lives as we try to give leadership to our children. Help us to remember, Lord, to be humble and to serve others, to put others first. In your name we pray for your honor and glory. Amen. Here's a question of the day. What does it really mean to humble yourself. Would you think about that? What does it mean to humble yourself in the sight of God so that he will raise you up? Well, you think about that for a few minutes. We'll play some music in the background. 
and I'll come back with a concluding comment. Perhaps the most common question in the church today is, what is God's will for my life? As a pastor, I get asked that question time and time and time again. Uh, and, and people face all kinds of decisions in their lives, and, and there's all kinds of small decisions. What should I have for lunch? Um, what clothes should I wear today? Uh, what route should I take to work? Uh, what car should I buy? Uh, all kinds of small decisions, and we want to be in the will of God, and sometimes we become very concerned. And then there's, there's the big decisions that we need to make. We say, well, um, what career should I choose? What major should I, uh, should I take at college or university? Uh, what should be my career? What is God wanting me to do? And, and we think of these, of these big issues of our lives, and we wonder, uh, you know, what does God want us to do? And, and we should not operate as if God's will is lost, and we have to find it. As if it's out there somewhere and we just have to seek to find this, this great goal of God for our lives. Rather, God's will is just to humbly follow him step by step today where he leads. And, and, and this is one of the things that comes out of our text. These phenomenal things that happened in our text, this healing of Naaman, it, it just unfolded step by step. A servant girl, another servant, uh, Elijah, um, all of those things are just, just, just following step by step God's will. So instead of being tied up with, what's God's will for my life? Well, what about saying, how am I faithful today? How do I respond to what's what is God doing in my life? This, this next decision that I make in the next few hours this, or in the next day of my life. And if you follow obediently and trustfully and humbly the step-by-step -step, uh, urging, sur surrendering yourself to God's will, then you will ultimately find the will of God for your life. It's, it's not something hidden that you somehow have to have some kind of secret method to unfold. It's just a matter of living step-by-step-by-step, -step -step, following faithfully and humbly after God's direction in your life. Well, Romans chapter 16, verse 26 and 27. But now as the prophets foretold and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere. 
so that they too might believe and obey him. All glory in the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.